Welcome back to The Bachelor of Hearts presents Ancient History, the Bachelor podcast that asks ye old question, Alex Michelle's oversized leather blazer. Mm. Where are they now? <laughs> uh, is it in landfill? Is it uh, hung it up in like be. a museum somewhere? I feel like <laughs> if I ran the world, I would have like a hard rock cafe or Planet Hollywood or something where like... You could go and see all of the most precious uh, antiques of Bachelor history, you know? (laughs) This jacket gets such a workout in this episode that we are about to break down. It is episode number four of The Bachelor season one. Alex Michelle is dressed like a man who knows that he has made a bad purchase, (laughs) but isn't in an emotional position yet to be able to take the L. (laughs) He's a man who's blown probably 200 bucks on a jacket, yeah, maybe more, and really shouldn't have, but is now just trying to get his dollar value back, you know? That's it. You're trying to get the cost per wear down. Right. And so he's wearing it fucking everywhere. <laughs> but the thing is, right, like, if you're going to invest 200 bucks on something like this, for goodness sakes, buy a staple. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, buy mm. a, a denim jacket, buy a pair of, nice pair of boots. You know, something that will last and something that is versatile. This is one of the least versatile items of clothing that I can imagine. An oversized leather blazer. This to me speaks to a panicked last minute packing decision. He's like, limo's coming at five in the morning to take me to the fucking mansion where I'm shooting this show I don't know anything about. Uh, I, I don't know what I need. You know, they haven't worked out the packing list in the way that they've probably ironed it down to nowadays, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, so, yeah, he's just like, fuck, all right, uh, I'll grab that. Uh, you never know. You know, I might be dressing up as, like, some mobster stereotype or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> you never know what'll come up. It looks like he stole it off of the catwalk of a fashion show that media members might describe as daring mm. or challenging. <laughs> We are, in fact, watching season one of The Bachelor for this installment of The Bachelor of Hearts presents Ancient History, teleporting 20 years back in time to see where it all started and how on earth we ended up here. <laughs> I am Max Quinn. That is Xavier Rebetsky noonan Hi, Xavier. Hello, Max. I'm pleased to be back here in the relative safety of 2002. This week, hometowns, the first ones ever. Alex Michelle went to three places that I am fairly sure are real. And one place in Kansas that seems like it was made up for the sole purpose of the show. I have plenty of information about all of these destinations. We'll get into that later in our episode. We have much to discuss, but first, it is news time. Xavier Rebetsky Noonan, let's go. Batch World, catch up. All right. So first off, we have to touch on this. It's the top story this week. Probably moments after we released our previous episode, Network 10 announced the premiere date for the upcoming seventh season of The Bachelorette Australia, starring Blup, 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 
Just cut out me saying starring Book Blurpin, please. Will do. Yeah, you won't. Uh, Wednesday, October 20th is the date, uh, which is very soon. That's very soon. Yeah. Um, the date was announced alongside an extended first look trailer um, in which we see the mansion full of men and women for the very first time. We see some more clips from night one. There's a few group dates. There's a fear of height date. There's a costumed cocktail party, which I'm guessing is just going to be every season now. And why not? Mm -hmm. You know, a woman in a pink wig and a life-size model horse with a ring of roses around its neck, (laughs) as they do every season, I guess. Brooke kissing girls, Brooke kissing boys. What looks like there might be a relationship between two contestants. Um, Hello. Brooke looking very elegant, very confident, rocking all sorts of cool outfits. Very cool shit. Very excited for this season. And in the days since then, we have also seen a new sneak peek of a contestant who we'd spotted before who entered in a glittery tux on a ride-on lawnmower uh, in which we learn his name is David. Um, No. (laughs) His name is David. D-A-R-V-I-D. Oh, God. Well, from David to Harvard, mm, that's what I always say. That's true. On we the will. Bachelor of Hearts podcast. <laughs> we will, of course, be talking about a Harvard education person on this episode of our pod. But there is also uh, outdoor advertising popping up. Uh, Brooke posted an Instagram story of her on a humongous illuminated billboard overlooking Yagan Square, I want to say, in Perth. Yagan? Great. Yagan? Yagan? Someone's going to tell me. I think it's pronounced Javid. Oh, it's probably, yeah, it's probably Javid. Yeah, that makes yep. a lot of sense. Uh, due to the surprisingly soon premiere date, <laughs> we have made the decision to bank some episodes of Ancient History. I feel like we might as well explain what's going to go yeah. on. Yeah, fuck it. Um, we're going to continue releasing them weekly alongside our usual coverage of Brooks season when that starts. So this means, unfortunately, we won't be able to provide the very latest news in our Batchwell catch-up segment for every episode remaining in this season. But, you know, I will be keeping my ear to the ground as much as ever. So if you want to keep on top of all that stuff, here's what I'm saying, is if we, even if we can't provide the news at the top of the episode every week, keep your eyes on the Osh Posting group on Facebook. Yeah, Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting. Because, you know, I am... This, truly, it is bizarre to me to not be able to come on here and talk about the news every week right now because this is the time where I'm paying the most attention. <laughs> And if anybody has listened to this podcast before, they know that I'm paying quite a bit already. A great deal. <laughs> Story number two. Beep, 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 beep. Beloved sheep rescuer and somewhat less beloved ex-bachelor Nick the Honey Badger Cummins uh, is leveraging his newfound viral celebrity this week with the launch of a new item available for purchase on his website, his signature hat. You're putting this above Sam Frost. <laughs> It happened earlier. I don't. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. But I'm halfway through it now. We've got Let's to finish go. it Let's up. keep going. Trust me, this is important. Dubbed the all-rounder, the soft brown hat boasts 100% Australian merino wool, a metal pin of an Australian black cockatoo, and a gold-embossed 100% leather sweatband, complete with a honey badger's autograph. All in the service of creating Cummins' beloved wide brim. Max, you're like shaking your head. You're so mad at me. <laughs> the hat is available for pre-order now with limited pre-Christmas delivery, which is good because as far as Christmas goes, the absolute last thing you want to do is to get to the last minute without being able to make a decision. Oh, yeah, <laughs> really. It was really good then, wasn't it? 
Moving on. Okay. Look, maybe a bigger story. You're right. At around 11 a.m. on Saturday, October 9th, Australia's first Bachelorette, the winner and then loser of Bachelor Season 2, actor, influencer, and recipient of a selfie with Xavier RN in 2016, Sam Frost. She received the selfie, not Mm, me. I'm mm. framing it like that now. Uh, Sam Frost has shared a four and a half minute video on her Instagram page in which she shares that she is not vaccinated for the novel coronavirus COVID-19. In the video captioned, with love, light, and empathy, in case someone needed to hear this today, you are not alone. I am in your corner, heart emoji. Jesus. Wait, can we do it like this? I want you to Mm. keep reading, Mm. and every time it gets worse, you're just (laughs) going to hear me go, oh, no. Yeah, sure. Is that all right? Absolutely, yeah. She appears extremely affected by the division that she has observed in the world between those who are vaccinated and those who are not. No. In traditional influencer apology video style, she is sitting cross-legged on the floor, gazing right into the camera for maximum parasocial power. As she says, there are lots of different reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated. No. It might be because of their medical history. Their concerns. No. They might have family history. It could be religious reasons. No. Whatever the reasons, I want to no. tell those people who feel like they're not they're getting separated from society. I'm not vaccinated. No. There's a reason why I'm not. I've spoken to my doctor and psychologist about it, and I'm going to keep that private. That's my no. decision. It's a really hard time to be in society right now. No. Now, look, we are not here to specifically provide medical advice, nor would I say that like I or or you, Max, are more educated than the average person about this stuff. We are not like in a position of like, you know, doctoral authority or whatever. No. And I am aware that there are reasons, there is at least one reason why certain people are unable to be vaccinated and that, you know, those reasons be they, you know, health related or whatever, may not necessarily be anybody's business. And of course, I understand that there are reasons why some people feel skeptical or have instinctive reactions towards being told what to do or being told what to put in their bodies or, you know, the rhetoric of mass media. I'm sympathetic on some level to those things. But I also understand that people are very easily swayed by the influence of misinformation, especially when it comes from somebody that they feel like they can trust. And even if that's just somebody that they that they enjoy watching on TV, um, it, it feels incredibly important to me that people with a large platform, Sam Frost is, as far as I can tell, the second most Instagram famous to have appeared in The Bachelor Australia behind Sophie Monk. Did you know that? She's bigger than Honey Badger. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess just like getting in early at the at the real early peak of uh of Bachelor in Australia. Bachelor and Instagram. And also, I guess carrying on to doing other reality shows and now home and away true all with their own sort of fervent fan bases but you know it's incredibly important that people with that kind of platform use it responsibly and especially given sam frost's previously really good advocacy and concern around mental health um one would think that the mental health toll of unnecessary death and illness caused by anti-vaxxers and the vaccine hesitant would factor into the equation at some point It doesn't seem to have crossed her path when she made this video. Frost 
continues by tearfully addressing that the scrutiny of not being vaccinated can make you feel like, quote, less of a human and liberally misusing the extremely historically loaded term segregation to refer to the divide that exists between vaccinated and vaccine hesitant. No, no, no. This, of course, ignores... I mean, not only a history of many kinds of segregation, but, you know, the very real segregation that exists right now between disabled and immunocompromised people and the rest of society, you know, and these are the people who stand to benefit the most from widespread vaccination and the people who stand to lose the most from, you know, disinformation and, uh, you know, this sort of... uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a a hundred things we could say about it. Um, within about seven hours, the post had been taken down, although it had received, let me check. I have a screenshot. Sorry. Although by that point it had received over 212,000 views and plenty of supportive comments. And, uh, you know, Sam Frost's account has now been deleted as of the time of recording. I imagine she will probably come back by the next time we're able to talk to you in a news type setting and, but we may have, you know, this this situation will develop as it does. Uh, pretty bad. Don't. <laughs> That's just all don't that I it. have to say is just yeah. fucking stop it. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's pretty easy to not do this. Just don't. Oh, it is exasperating. Yeah. Frosty has been able to work throughout the entire pandemic in what I assume is a pretty well-paying job on home and away uh you know it, it's uh it, it it smacks of like privilege and of uh i don't i don't necessarily want to say callousness but just an, a complete lack of thought about what people are actually going thoughtlessness through. is yeah look uh she says i was really hesitant about doing a video or even speaking up about this sort of thing mm. Trust that instinct. Trust that instinct. <laughs> Don't do it. That is the voice in your in the back of your head, which should be at the front of it. Do you, you know, know? What that's called it's called your conscience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <sighs> I mean, look, uh, everybody knows this is bad. I think pretty much um, we're preaching to the choir, but uh, this was a real fall from grace from somebody who I had previously thought was quite cool and good. Like, I, not only did I enjoy her season, but I do think that she has done some good mental health advocacy work, and that mm. seems to be an important thing for her. Um, you know, obviously, people have many sides, and you are capable of being right about some things and wrong about others or whatever, but um, just, yeah, just the the lack of judgment, the lack of sort of foresight or whatever. Speaking of right about some things and wrong about others, mm. is it time for us to rethink Blake Garvey? Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Did he somehow know that? Was he prescient enough? (laughs) Because Blake Garvey, maybe even more so than Honey Badger, is like public enemy number one in in the world of The Bachelor. Yes. There are are sins that have been committed that in my eyes may be about as bad. Like, um, who was it who, I'm going to forget now, but like people people have like just ghosted. After ending up together, or sure. Pete Mann is is a pretty bad sin. Pete um, Mann's probably the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Hayden walking down the aisle and dabbing. Okay, I strongly disagree. Dabulous. That was couldn't actually disagree more. Sin. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, but yeah, you you could be right. Maybe it's time to rewatch Blake Garvey's season and just see if 
the, you know, those elements were there if, you know, maybe he is more trustworthy than we've come to think. This is it. Look, I, um, I didn't think that I would be putting these words together in a sentence. I said it already in the Bachelor of Arts Osh posting Facebook group. Blake Garvey, woke king. Look, you heard it here first. <laughs> In the sense that I don't think anyone else has ever said that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, look, why not? See, he's got, he's now got the Bachelor of Arts seal of approval posthumously? Question mark. That's not really what that means. Posthumously, but, you know. yeah. Is he alive? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. That wraps it up for the Batch World catch up. The Batch World catch up has wrapped up, and that's good because um, I've been working on. Uh, so when I was a kid, I did swimming lessons. You would you would uh, have some expertise about this because your dad obviously invented swimming. Um, we've talked about true. that before. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I have been ta- when I was a kid. I took swimming lessons, but I never finished the full program. I didn't get through. Like, oh, it went from like I think it was like you know you would be like mal you would be like flounder marlin you know dolphins you sharks yep. you know that's your way up the list right. Mm-hmm. I don't think I mm-hmm. finished sharks, and so. One thing that I never got especially good at and that I still kind of need practice on is diving into The Bachelor US Season 1, Episode 4. They didn't teach us how to do that at all. Uh, This episode aired on April 15th, 2002. And of course, as you said, it is the hometown visits, the inaugural hometown visits episode of The Bachelor. I want us to take a, a trip back, <laughs> just dive in elsewhere. Uh, I, last week, the previously on The Bachelor, you know, the segment that starts the episode mm-hmm, where Chris mm-hmm. Harrison is narrating over some footage that we've seen already. Um, the narration ended with Chris Harrison saying the following. Which four will receive roses and which four will go home empty handed? Find out on The Bachelor. This week, there is a definite shift in tone. This time he says, tonight there are four women, but only three roses. Who will be sent home brokenhearted? Find out tonight on The Bachelor. And I think that this focus on the genuine suffering that is instilled within the DNA of the show and the way that that suffering is leveraged to market the product is the beginning of a disturbing trend which runs deep throughout the history of The Bachelor. And this is the real beginning of it, right. isn't it? The previous two episodes are just like, hey, tune in and find out what's going on here. And now this time it's like, you will see someone in torment, you know? Uh, you know, because this is a show which purportedly exists to help people fall in love, right? But the mm-hmm. fires of The Bachelor are stoked week after week by pain and anguish and humiliation. I'm being the tiniest bit hyperbolic here, but like, when I binged the first few seasons of The Bachelor for the first time uh, over the mm. last year or so, I was truly gobsmacked by the number of times that you hear Chris Harrison's voice in voiceover in these types of trailers or like coming up after the break or whatever. You hear him saying, who will receive a rose and who will go home brokenhearted? Who is be- permitted to spend another day in purgatory? Whose soul has been ground into a fine powder while millions gawk at them, <laughs> cackling to themselves during the commercial breaks, you know, that sort of thing. So it's right, worth right. spotlighting that this is the beginning of a gradual downward slope, uh, not to catastrophize or anything, but, you know, how do we end up in the world we have today? This is the beginning <laughs> of the right. end. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, uh, Chris Harrison explains to the women that they won't be seeing each other again except at the invitation nights 
remember that term. Uh, because it's time for each of them to take Alex on the hometown visits. Uh, there's another nice shot of Alex getting ready. And um, I think you were so right to highlight this last week because it is some of the uh, some of the nicest stuff of just like, you know, he seems genuinely kind of nervous about going to visit all their families. And I think he's nervous in a way that you don't really see these days. Mm. Like, I think, I, th- mm. I think um, modern bachelors are nervous about doing hometowns instead of like finding out what the fuck this is going to be. You know what I mean? Right, meeting the families, being subject to this environment. This is the first time it's ever been. Yeah, done. exactly. And like everything that happens in this season, you see the purest sort of distillation and the most honest version of the nerves about all of these things because no one has ever done it like this before. Mm, mm. Anyway, up first is the nanny named Kim and her hometown of Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix has a hot desert climate and is the cultural center of the state of Arizona. And its local economy has traditionally been anchored by what are known as the five C's. Max, would you care to guess them? These are five things that begin with the letter C. Cactus. No, surprisingly not. Yeah, that would have been a good one. C. Um, What else do I know about Phoenix? Cardinals? No, weirdly, that's not in there either. I think maybe this is less modern. This is like what, you know... In the development of the city as as a as a you know maybe oh as uh, Christianity no no these are good guesses these are all great guesses these all make perfect sense okay um let's go with something like um cherishing (laughs) no I'm thinking about things that most of these things you can hold in your hand you know they're like a thing okay country climate yeah climate weirdly is one of them. That okay. one I thought would be the one that would completely stump you. Coal? No, not coal. But you're barking up the right tree. Okay. What about like... Mm, are we talking about like how a place might make money, that kind of thing? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, These are the things that the what economy... What know about Phoenix? Has, ha- like depends upon. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cattle. Yes. Correct. Climate. Cattle. Copper. Copper is correct. Great. Yes. Okay. That leaves us with two more. <sighs> Something that you could harvest for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, you could harvest oh. for both, both of these. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, then I'll go with cotton. Cotton is, is right. Cotton is correct. Excellent. Yes, you got one left. I have no idea. Um, I'll give you the hint that it is a group rather than a specific thing. Okay. If that, if that helps. They're usually round. Citrus. Yes, correct. Thank you. <laughs> That's the sixty is correct. Um, <laughs> there was no reason for us to do that, but why not? Uh, as Kim and Alex arrive at the Saguaro Lake Marina and hop aboard a boat. That's boat number two for this season. Mm. Alex very helpfully ITMs. Kim is one of the most beautiful women in the world, and she's exactly the look that I love. And I just realized, you know, she's my dream girl. Oh, good Lord. Very cool shit. I love to be the exact look that some dude loves. (laughs) Uh, After this, they're in the limo. They're being shot from shin height again. And Alex asks, so what do you do with your time for yourself? And I'm like, holy shit. Is this, this is how little yeah. that you know her. Is this the least that a bachelor has ever known a contestant 
this is your dream girl. Yeah, she's your dream girl. Also, you it's just described her as that. Also, what do you do? It's hometowns too. Like it is usually so late in the game by this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're like, okay, cool. So what are we going to do? Because you're a pilot, and <laughs> I want you to be at home at seven o'clock sharp cooking dinner with and me. And you'll say, night. I'm sorry, I just love coffee too much. I couldn't possibly. <laughs> Uh, Kim answers, I uh, just relax, lay in my room and just read magazines, you know, like I'm not really into fiction, nonfiction, those kind of things, but I like to read self-help books like Dr. Phil, that sort of thing. My speculation here, um, cause this comes off kind of badly. My speculation mm. is that she was actually maybe asked what she does with her alone time at the villa. And, oh, you know, maybe in her actual life, she has a lot more going on than just reading self-help books and magazines. But, like, they cut that part out to make it seem like she's a bit of an airhead. Yeah, right. Okay. That she just loves Dr. Phil. Right. I like that there's there's a world in which he's like, Dr. Who? I'm not familiar. <laughs> like, Dr. Phil is such a ubiquitous cultural presence, for better or worse. For mm, worse. Mm. Uh, but he's like, I don't know. Is he feigning ignorance or is it just 2002 and Phil doesn't have the stranglehold? Oh, my God. The first episode of Dr. Phil airs on 16 September 2002. Oh, right. He hadn't stopped. Wow. That's incredible. So I- we are in the the pre-Phil era. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't make that into the context at the start of this miniseries, you know? True, true. <laughs> the world hadn't even... I am DB rating four out of ten. Yeah, I mean, that seems high. Uh, Kim and Alex kiss a few times while they're walking up to the house. That's a pro-level kiss move. If you can do it whilst walking... And these people oh, don't yeah. know each other super well either. They haven't, like, coordinated this. I was impressed. Uh, and then he is introduced to her mom, Marilyn, her dad, Pete, her sister, Andre- Andrea, maybe, uh, sister's husband, Mark, sister, Missy, and Missy's two kids, Drew and Annabelle. I hope you got all that, Max, because it's very important. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've definitely got it. And feel free to quiz me on it at any time. I just love having that on the record in our podcast because it's <laughs> probably the first time anybody has known or taken note of that in decades. Uh, if ever. Uh, we see inside their lovely home, and then there's little toddler Drew. You remember Drew? I do remember Drew. And what was the other kid's name? Missy? No. Annabelle. But, you know, Missy Annabelle. was in there. Uh, Drew takes Alex's hand and walks him into a room which is absolutely floor-to-ceiling overflowing with stuffed and mounted animals, which the yeah, family the was this? have killed themselves. There are wolves, deer, wild boar, several ducks and waterfowl in like a cabinet that looks quite a bit like the cabinet where all the women's portraits are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and at least two bears. <laughs> Kim's dad, Pete, tells Alex, when I shot that one, I think it was the biggest bear. Uh, I, I actually couldn't quite make out what he, what, what he said here. It was the biggest bear that anyone in the county had shot that year. Right. So I wrote down, I think it was the biggest bear I shot in Arizona that year. And then I was like, so he shot bigger bears in other places? <laughs> that makes more sense. Uh, and then Pete says, so what are your hobbies? And Alex says, well, I'm a swimmer, a movie buff, <laughs> a reader. But I think I should add some hunting into the mix. <laughs> and Pete's like, I'd be glad to help you out there. <laughs> what do we think? The five C's are carnage, <laughs> creatures, <laughs> killing. Uh, there is a portion of the hometown where the family is just sitting around, you know, patting the dog, 
calmly telling Alex nice things about Kim. And I think this is mm. really sweet and wholesome. It was very lovely. Yeah. Her sister Missy says, Kimmy's a really good communicator, which is really important in a relationship. She'd give you the shirt off her back and she'd do anything for you. She should be called chocolate because she's so sweet. Mm. I'm just like, you never get this, like, just sitting around having a nice time together. Never ever on the show anymore. And you never get it in such a cheesy way either. Mm. Like, this is such a proto-reality TV way of um, staging a conversation. True. True, but I think it's so interesting that, like, now the hometown date has been ground down to a very specific formula. Right. Who's the enemy and how are they intimidating the bachelor? Right, exactly. It's the it's the guard dog we were talking about. And, like... Precisely. That just doesn't exist here. And they try and make other things happen and they try and show other stuff. You know, all of these are different to each other. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting for them to completely feel separated from, from what they exist as now. Kim and Alex uh, kiss out on the street outside the house. And Kim says, have a good trip tomorrow. Say hi to my friend and think (laughs) of me. Um, And then she ITMs, if Alex doesn't pick me tomorrow, I'm going to be hurt, disappointed. I'm going to be feeling all the things that you feel when your relationship doesn't work out. And I feel like including that underlines the aspect of like, yes, these relationships are real. Um, You know, like for a viewer at home, they're like maybe a little skeptical here. Um, maybe because Alex was just asking her what she does in her <laughs> spare time for the first time ever. What are your interests? <laughs> what do you do? What was your name again? Christ. Um, but anyway, that that's Kim. Uh, up next is Trista's hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis. Did I say it wrong? Yes. Okay. I'm dumb and I'm bad and I deserve <laughs> to be punished. Home uh, of the Rams for twenty oh true. years almost. I, I should have known you would have you would have a lot of things to say about St. Louis. I got a lot of things to say about St. Louis. St. Louis is the second largest city in Missouri. It is known for the Gateway Arch, a monument to the westward expansion of the United States, as we all know. Uh, and we didn't Google it this week, uh, as well as being the birthplace of poet and playwright T. S. Eliot. And the city in which the ice cream cone was introduced and popularized. Bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. The Gateway Arch is a beautiful and interesting monument. uh, And the zoo in St. Louis is something that is also celebrated. They also have this big empty dome. (laughs) That's where they keep the Rams (laughs) before they move them to Los Angeles. Um, They have a big empty dome in the middle of the city now, which was called the Edward Jones Dome. And uh, now I would assume is unsponsored because the football team left town mm. and literally went back to Los Angeles. They skipped town. Yeah. They went, you know what it was? They looked, they probably watched this episode of The Bachelor from 2002 mm. and they thought. Mm. Just after the Rams had won the Super Bowl. Exactly. And they thought, yep. let's go to where the magic happens. We want the glitz. We want the glamour. <laughs> We certainly want the man called Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal, to come in and buy our team in a year or in ten and a half years. Look, if I was Arsenal man Stan Kroenke, I would yeah. do whatever the other thing you said in that sentence that I could not focus on because you said Arsenal Stan Kroenke. <laughs> Alex ITMs that he's not too certain where he stands with Trista. He has a big crush on her, but has questions about whether he, uh, she likes him back. So fittingly, based on the uh, the tenure of this, based on the top, you know, oh, never mind, tenor, 
the tenor of this discussion, Trista takes Alex to her high school, where hopefully, you know, he'll be able to pass her a note in class that says, do you like me, tick yes or no? <laughs> uh, I thought this was so strange. It is a bit strange. It is. I, I think that they have to pick, like the, the contestants have to pick where they will go on the hometown. Mm. And maybe like if they didn't like their first choice or whatever, they might just end up at a place like this or whatever. Right. I don't know. I don't know how this happens, to be honest. It has this weird feeling of I've peaked. Oh, Taking yeah. someone back to your high school, yeah. don't you think? I'm, I mean, I know now she's a, a dancer for the Miami Heat mm. and we're definitely not in Miami and probably she has friends and a whole life and whatever right. over there. Right. But at this point, yeah, going back to your high school when you go home is kind of like as the first stop. <laughs> it's true. It is true. I, I, can't, I can't imagine doing that. This is where the magic happened. <laughs> Yeah, this is where the Trista that you know and love really came into her own. I mean, maybe, but even then, yeah, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, as they sit on the bleachers, sipping Cokes with the labels removed, Alex ITMs that he enjoys the thrill of the chase. And then he puts his arm around Trista and thanks her for bringing him. Actually, he brought her, you know, but whatever. Uh, the power dynamic. You know, I think it's in his interest to be like, oh, yeah, you led the charge. Definitely. Here. Definitely. Um, and he says, I think I'm going to have to give you a kiss. I can't be at the bleachers of a high school and not. Yucky. <laughs> That's not the way you want to phrase that, my friend. How? You are Harvard educated. This is, I guess he is playing into some kind of like nostalgic sort of Americana, like, you know. Definitely, we're like, sharing uh, sodas together at the fucking you know at the uh, box homecoming hop. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you. <laughs> I think you want to avoid that. Uh, anyway, Trista says, "Well, you're allowed," and they share a kiss. Trista itms, "I'm really liking the person that he is, and I'm thinking more about the relationship aspect of it and the whole reason why we're here." So that night, they arrive at a house where Alex is introduced to Trista's dad, Stan. Uh, stepmother Carol and mother Roseanne. Roseanne asks Trista if Alex is a good kisser, and she goes, "Oh, mother!" <laughs> uh, and then Stan, the dad, asks Alex if Trista is a good kisser, and I think that's pretty fun. It was pretty, yeah. I I liked this dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and then Trista's friends Sarah, Missy, and Sarah's husband Michael arrive, and apparently they have flown in from like. God knows where to be there, which is kind of wild. I wonder how they choose, or at least at this point, how they chose like who would be able to be there for it, you know? Right, right. How did they decide that Alex was going to have this small boy show up in <laughs> at Phoenix, Arizona, that he was going to pick up literally by the arm and dangle? Right. <laughs> uh, and then lead into a room full of corpses. My word. Yeah. Uh, And then we see the group sit down at the dinner table and the patriarch begins to speak. Dear Lord, bless this food from your bounty that we share. In your name we pray. Amen. And in my opinion, this is the first of many times, I, I believe, that we see the Lord God invoked in order to evoke sympathy or compassion for one of the contestants of the show. Yeah. Um. Obviously, it's in its primordial stages here, but as you get closer towards the present, the, uh, this part of the game or, or, or of the show has completely evolved, and it's now, 
you know, being religious is now a character trope, which can form the whole backbone of a contestant's identity. Um, religious faith as a deal breaker can be leveraged against either the lead or a contestant. Mm. And like, you know, we have hometown dates that take place at churches. We have people saving themselves for marriage. We had Madison Pruitt in Pilot Pete season who told him that faith was the driving force in her life and that she needed him to be a faith leader for their future family. And that because of her faith, she could not continue dating him if he slept with any other women at the fantasy suites. Jesus, There was a night one toast during the most recent US Bachelor. I I did a a little historic deep dive here. But then I remembered the most recent US Bachelor season, Matt James, uh, the night one toast when he's like gathering all the women around was a prayer. Mm. He said, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together healthy. Give these women the courage to get through these next few months. You can you say that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Father God. Give these women the courage to get through these next few months. Um, oh, no, I said that already. And I feel like that's why I'm here, and I feel like that's why these women are here, Lord. L- look. No part of me wants to just be like critical about religious faith or whatever explicitly. No. Um, but it's so interesting to me to think about why this stuff is included in the show and why its presence has only grown over time with the popularity of The Bachelor. Because I think it speaks yeah. to this like heartland audience that they are targeting and that they know are tuning in week after week and want to see this stuff. I think that's true. And I also think that it can be true that these are religious people, you know, and that we are reflecting uh, a climate in this show, not just of, you know, using of religion as leverage, but you, these. this is the Midwest and people are this to a certain That's extent. That's true. Yeah. Like people in America are, are much more Christian than they are, I think, in Australia or in our, like, in our circle as particularly probably. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like part of it is just like, you know, it's reality TV in a sense, and they're casting real people. And so on some level, it's just like documentary style sort of realism of like taking people as they are. Um, but I think over time, they figure out that that stuff is like what their audience wants to see, you know? For sure. Like it, for is, sure. it is, there's a genuine like, uh, what's the word? Like growth or um, there's an acceleration, I guess, of... Uh, the amount to which this is a plot point and, and a major, you know, part. I don't necessarily think that we're seeing it here, um, but I think it's just like the early. Anyway, they eat the food. <laughs> uh, Alex tells the group that he's looking for someone beautiful, smart, funny, loyal, giving, and family-oriented. All qualities that Trista has. Also qualities that I have, but I was only nine when this was <laughs> happening, so too bad. Lucky you didn't meet him at the high school. It's true. Uh, They ask whether Alex is a good dancer, and Alex kind of looks around a little bit sheepishly, and then Trista stops them from making him get up and dance for them, (laughs) which I think is, yeah, it's like really charming. (laughs) That I love. There's no, like, guard dog, like we were saying before. There's no prepared questions about whether he's just there for fame or any of that stuff. I don't think producers have really coached the families at all. No, this just feels natural and much in the same way as we talked about the server at the Japanese restaurant last week who was just kind of like, well, no expectations. Now they're kissing on the floor. This is absurd. Yeah. This time it's just playing out in the documentary style that we talk about where it is like, well, no expectations. No one's been coached. We're just going to see what happens here. And 
we see the manipulation start to come through in future seasons. Mm. But at this point, all we're doing is documenting what happened. And that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's as if they haven't figured out that they can get away with it, you know? Right, or that, right. Or that, you know, in order to crank things up and make them more interesting. Drama. That, yeah. yeah. That, that there's plenty of things that they can do by just getting involved, you know? Right. The family asks Alex to kiss Trista in front of them, which is a little bit weird, but he plays along and he like dips her and, you know, leans in for a kiss. I think it's nice, you know? I think this is nice too. This is like actual Alex personality coming out, which I think has been a little hard to get, you know, to to really chip away at. We then see Trista and Alex in the back of the limo together. Trista is laying her head on his lap and she says, I'm telling you right now that I'm being completely honest that I want to stay because I think that we are connecting. Alex says, my dream scenario is that you would put yourself in this situation where you are sort of feeling like we are exclusively dating. I'm asking you to open yourself up to the possibility of getting hurt. And Trista says, I can't because we're not. I can't picture being exclusive because that would mean you're cheating on me and I can't. In ITM, she continues, I just hope that he doesn't use these walls against me and that he lets us continue to see if we really are meant to be together. And I found this really affecting. Me too. This is the type of stuff that I think comes up again most seasons, basically, is like, you know, it is difficult to ignore that there are other people in this situation with you as well. He's dating other Mm -hmm. people. But the way that she is explaining this stuff and the way that you can tell she is feeling it is some real first person in history to ever deal with this feeling kind of shit. We talked about him walking on the moon. Yeah. In a certain sense, last last episode. This is Trista's version of it. Mm. And I think that they both do an incredibly good job of articulating the premise of the show. Yeah. And this is what, this is the bedrock that future seasons will be built on. It is the core drama that you can mine at any time. Right. And- to the show's credit and to Alex and Trista's credit, everyone is representing themselves the best way they can and serving the intention of the producers or of the, you know, doing it for the good of the show as well. It's so tricky with these episodes because they do feel quite fast paced, but I do think that there is enough room for this to breathe in this moment. I agree. Which um, often there is a temptation to just kind of cut around or, you know, maybe it's because we're not hearing huge music playing behind it or whatever. Like, you know, it's it's that documentary style sort of uh, presentation that we're talking about. Um, it's so powerful for it just to have a beat. Yeah, yeah. Next up is Amanda and her hometown of Chanute, Kansas. <laughs> As of the 2020 census, the population of Chanute was 8,722 people. I don't know how many there were in 2002. Seems pretty small. The racial demographic is 92.4% white, considerably higher than the US average of about 72% of the population. Chanute mm-hmm. is the birthplace of, here is the most famous person I could find, Jimmy Allen. Name doesn't ring a bell? Well, Jimmy Allen is the founding guitarist oh, of Puddle of Mud, who left the band five years before the release of She Hates Me, which would make the band a household name. Damn. Uh, incidentally, She Hates Me, that 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 came out two months after this episode aired. So, you know, Shinoo Kansas is probably this still uh, coasting off the back of the whatever the first EP. Or, or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened. 
I don't know if Puddle of Mud happened there. You'll probably think an actual Puddle of Mud was their biggest celebrity. (laughs) Uh, The limo parks in Amanda's family's driveway, and they proceed inside to meet with Amanda's mum, Joyce, and stepdad, Dick. Alex ITM saying, I'm so tired, I can't function at all. I'm trying to make nice in the living room, but I am sleepwalking. I kind of love this as a narrative angle, you know? Definitely. The exhaustion of the show and that they chose to include it is really funny. Like, we would never let our Bachelor, I've said this before, appear less than perfect. In this case, he's like, I'm fucking worn out by the premise of this show and the sheer speed at which it is moving. Yesterday I was in St. Louis. Now I am en route to Chanute. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Like, less, even less so than, like, not wanting The Bachelor to seem fallible. They don't mm. want the show, like the way that, you know, the journey or whatever takes place. They don't want that. You don't You don't want to distrust the process. Everything right, about exactly. the process has to be the best way. Like you, the, the, the myth of the show is that this is the best way to find love and that right. no other way works as well as this or in the way that this does. And so everything has to be necessary. Mm. And so you wouldn't have a Bachelor nowadays being like, fucking hell you know like i mean maybe in an offhanded like sort of casual like after a group date like being exhausted kind of way or whatever but you wouldn't be like it was a mistake to set things up like this or whatever yes which is essentially what what the undercurrent of this is definitely and for that to play to the direct disadvantage of one of the women as well yeah yeah and um i just like it we're talking about realism a lot here like i'm like you know we're not pretending that everything is hunky dory at all times yeah it's just also just like something different it's a different flavor for a hometown date definitely a different flavor interesting when they got up and made him do the the official dance of the town <laughs> what are you talking about the chanute of salute That was interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That night at the Chanute Country Club, which has since closed, unfortunately, Uh. there's still a golf course. Anyway, I did some Googling. Um, They meet up with Amanda's brothers, Scott and Ken, their best friend. Oh, her best friend, Mandy, and her aunt, Janice. (laughs) Just love knowing all these names so much. Uh, Scott, the eldest brother, is the frowniest one here. He seems pretty unimpressed by Alex's Harvard education. Um, we learn here that he majored in history and literature. Come on the pod, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually uh, they all kind of loosen up. The other brother, Ken, tells Alex, you're doing what we could do from junior high through high school. He's referring, I guess, to dating a bunch of women at once. I guess. He says, you're doing what we could do from junior high through high school all in a few weeks. So maybe he means like dating a lot of people that you would normally do over a long period of time, but compressed into a smaller period of time. And then working out which one to marry at the end because you live in Chanute. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, and then he says, that's illegal in 27 states. And everyone laughs really hard. I did not get it. Do you do you know what that... Polyamory? Is that... Oh. <laughs> okay. Because I looked that's up... what I thought. ...what things were illegal in 27 states. Mm. And I couldn't really find any hits. I did find that in 27 states, there are no explicit statewide laws at all protecting people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity in employment, housing, and public accommodations. Mm. Doesn't seem like that's what's happening here, but I was I was upset to learn that. 
Um, also, there are 27 states in which the death penalty has not been abolished in the United States in 2021, oh, wow. which is kind of wild. But it is, interestingly, where she is from. That is interesting. It's written in the Chanute Constitute <laughs> that you can't execute. Uh, there are also 27 dresses in the movie 27 Dresses. <laughs> so that's one to think about. Mm. Uh, anyway, the country club seems to go well. We see Alex drop Amanda off and kiss her, shot from inside the limo with the door open. I guess they were running out of time, didn't want to unfold the tripod or whatever. Sunsetting. Let's go. Let's <laughs> yeah, go. Let's get a wriggle on. Then finally, it is time for Shannon's hometown of Dallas, Texas. Dallas is well known as a bachelor hub. I don't know if you know about this. Um, Chris Harrison is originally from Dallas. Mm-hmm. There have been a handful of leads from Dallas, including Rachel Lindsay, Jojo Fletcher, Sean Lowe, Jake Pavelka, and Alex Michelle himself. And the show does casting calls every year in just a few cities, and Dallas is always one of them. Um, worth mentioning maybe that Dallas is also overwhelmingly Christian. A 2014 study by the Pew Research Center found that 78% of adults in Dallas identified as Christian. Uh, what else do we know about Dallas? A lot of, lot of debutante kind of stuff happening in Dallas. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, look, Texas, it makes sense because I think Texas has a reputation of like people get married pretty young. Um, it's kind of fairly conservative, I suppose. Um, and Dallas also has this... Uh, are you laughing? Because I'm like, it's fairly kind of conservative, oh, yeah. slightly, somewhat, potentially. Oh, yes. uh, there's also a reputation of Dallas as kind of the LA of Texas. Definitely. Um, in that, like, there are a lot of, like, young professionals. It's, like, not the most expensive city to live in, but it is a it is a big city where you can kind of get your start or whatever, um, which I think is the kind of crowd that Bachelor is looking for. Young, rich, you know, successful. White. White, mostly Christian. Yeah. Um, anyway, Shannon briefs Alex by saying, my parents are kind of quiet and a little dorky. And moments later, they're meeting mom, Susan, dad, s- didn't get a name, uh, sister, Susan. no name, and uh, and baby Corinne. And most importantly, they meet Shannon's adorable Weimarina, I want to say, dog <laughs> named Avery. Uh, Avery jumps up on Shannon. They are very excited to see one another. Um, so much so that they have to leave Avery in the room next to the lounge room where they're all sitting to have a chat. But Avery keeps whining and like looking through the window at Shannon. And then Shannon excuses herself saying, I'm just going to go say hi. Uh, whilst, you know, Shannon's mom asked Alex if he has any pets to which he says, no, (laughs) and then Alex and Shannon take Avery out for a walk. The dog sniffs around the park, and then when Shannon asks Alex, do you have any questions for me, Avery runs off, and Shannon has to go chase her. And that's basically the end of this segment. This was really funny to me. It's It was extremely funny. I think it's the first time that I've seen The Bachelor get jealous of a dog. <laughs> Which is a thread that runs through the series. Right, right. There's, I mean, there's just no room in Trumpus's life at this point for <laughs> anyone other than Avery, and I stand by it. I just really like, I feel like maybe this is the first time that they have fully gone the comedic route. Like they are less interested in showing what actually happened than telling us funny story. And almost like you could, you could see this as the, the uh, precursor to like the full edit. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. uh, Where 
someone is doing something that's a little bit funny, but they play it up to make them seem like they're absolutely batshit or whatever, just by, you know, creative editing and musical choices and all that kind of stuff. Shannon opens the limo door for Alex and he leaves. Um, And then Shannon asks her family for their impressions of him. And they seem a little bit cagey. Her mom, Susan, seems concerned that they maybe don't have anything in common since he doesn't have any pets. (laughs) Uh, adding in ITM, if Shannon were to come home with a ring in a few weeks, I don't know how I'd feel. I would be very surprised, but I would hope that they would have a long engagement to really get to know each other because you don't want to jump into marriage. Don't tell the cameras of The Bachelor that, you know, you're asking for trouble. Yep. After the family visit is over, Shannon and Alex have a limo ride through downtown Dallas where they have another brief chance to talk. With Shannon's no kissing on the first date policy in mind, Alex says, I want to hear about these rules that you live by. What does it mean to be a good girl? And how does that relate to sex? Shannon says, how did I know this would eventually come up with you? God, my friends just asked me, have you had to talk about that yet? And I'm like, no, thank God. And Alex says, but you know, we got to do it. And Shannon sarcastically says, thanks, Alex. And Alex says, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but we never get to hang out alone. And Shannon gestures slightly towards the camera saying, we're not alone. She seems really uncomfortable. And Alex says, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. And Shannon says, really? I don't think you are. I don't think that you feel bad at all. Like, I think that you see how awkward I feel right now, but you just don't care. You care about your answer. You don't care about how awkward these questions are making me feel. And Alex just exhales deeply. Uh, In ITM, he says, I wanted to know where she stands on these things. And unfortunately, there are TV cameras around all the time. There are a number of things she wanted to tell me later, but there isn't a later. There is no time when the cameras aren't around. And in fact, there's a short fuse on the whole experience. I pushed her a little further than I wish I had. And then Shannon says, this is so huge, Alex. This isn't a game. You're talking about something like marriage. That's the rest of your freaking life. That is not a game. There is so much to pull apart here. I don't understand what the core tension is. And as much as I empathize with Shannon's discomfort and I think it's so cool the way that she put him on the spot, you know, Mm. and stood up for herself, I'm not sure what he's tugging at in terms of being a good girl and the way that that relates to sex. Like that feels coded to me and I don't understand what, I don't understand what he's asking in order for this to have the the resonance that I want this scene to have. Does that make sense? I, I know what you mean because it's not really presented very clearly in the text. My speculation is that Alex has been given advance notice that at some stage in the competition or maybe even next week, there will be a sexual element to the show. And uh-huh. I don't think that Shannon knew that that was necessarily the case. Okay. This, this is, I'm kind of speculating here, but like from, from, what we're hearing from both of them, um, he seems pretty keen on finding out what everyone's attitudes towards having sex would be. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I don't necessarily get the impression that the women have been prepared for that in the appropriate way or in for the sure. way that they would have these days. So I think that he is kind of berating her for an answer to a question that she doesn't know why he's asking. Yeah. So the the question that he's asking for an answer to or like kind of tiptoeing around she is yeah is is a question that she doesn't deem even relevant and it's making her deeply uncomfortable to answer it 
on camera because she is looking at her attitude toward sex being reflected on the television. Right, exactly. Because to have a camera in your face and to have you, you know, need to, I think, you know, to, I don't know, like Shannon's background or whatever, I would take a punt and say maybe she's slightly religious or whatever, or she grew up in a religious environment maybe, and, or just a conservative environment of some kind or whatever. And just like having the onus put on you to speak up about what you do and don't deem as acceptable, uh, sexually speaking, with someone that you don't know very well. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I I also get the impression that, like, there are just some conversations that weren't filmed or weren't shown that this is sort of calling back to or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because he's saying she's got all of these rules. And as far as I understand, the rule was Shannon doesn't kiss on the first date, which is fine. Yeah, which is totally fine and pretty normal, I would I would imagine. So what um, are the other rules? You know, there's, there's just context missing, I guess. Yeah, and I also thought like this is uh this is kind of rare and particularly I wouldn't necessarily have expected it right off the bat of like somebody really standing up to the the bachelor somebody calling out the power dynamic, you know, the the imbalance there and mm. um you know trying to stake their own claim to to you know their own rights or their identity or whatever, you know what I mean? Their sexual proclivities. Right, exactly. But we ain't spent any more time on it. <sighs> Max you got to stop with that. We don't like that man. Well, no, you... doesn't blow the wood. <laughs> okay. Uh, up next, we're back at the villa, but there's no cocktail party. Instead, we cut right into the deliberation room with Chris and Alex going head to head. Chris says, things have very much changed. You've changed as a person. And Alex says, I think I have changed. Definite early signs of love are physically happening to me. Definite. What does that mean? <laughs> Definite early signs of love are physically happening to me. I've got the like welts. I've got the lesions. I've got the contusions. I need some kind of balm or salve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the scary and weird thing is that they're happening with more than one person. And the other scary and weird thing is skeletons. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then we have some more of these video messages. Each one is shot on location at their hometowns rather than the journal room just outside by the pool. Tristas goes, Alex, hey, I just wanted to thank you for sharing this day with me in St. Louis and really embracing my family and friends because they are such a huge part of my life. I think in this whole process, my walls have gradually been coming down and I hope that at the next rose ceremony that I'll be one of the names called so that we can break those down even more. Pretty good. Pretty great. Yep. Good summary of the Trista narrative. Yeah. You know, and, and it's around this point that I'm realizing, like, we basically have archetypes here, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it. And I feel like they've, ba- they've been built out pretty well. But, like, you know, we have, we have like, a more sexually open one, and then we have, like, a more sexually closed or, like, you know, however you want to describe, like, one is more liberated and one, you know, or yeah, whatever. Right, right. Yeah. And then you have... um Trista, who is kind of like um, very outgoing and sporty, but also doesn't <laughs> hasn't quite opened up. I guess the outgo, you know, outgoing but hasn't quite opened up is probably the um, you know all walls still to chip away walls with up. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then one of them is also a nanny. That's right. Yeah, 
That's um, the other, yeah. <laughs> that's the other archetype. Uh, speaking of which, Kim says, Hi, Alex. I just wanted to tell you what a great time I had today. It was awesome for you to meet my family, and I definitely want to spend a long night together with us snuggling and kissing. I just think it'll be perfect. See you soon. Sure. <laughs> Amanda says, Hi, Alex. Thank you for coming to Chanute. I am so glad you got to meet my family. <laughs> you made a great impression, and I know that they would like to see you again. So I look forward to seeing you soon. There's nothing there. <laughs> And Shannon says, hi, Alex, it's Shannon. I had a wonderful time today. I'm so happy to be able to bring you into my life and let you see my family, my friends, and my dog. I'm sorry tonight kind of didn't go as I planned. I think that you're the greatest, and I never want to lie to you. But at the same time, there's a few subjects that I'm just not ready to go there yet. So I hope that you'll be patient with me and give me the opportunity to get to know you better so you can get to know me better. It's interesting to me as well that Alex is still staring at the little framed portraits at this point. While it's going on, he's like, which one is she? Yeah. Like, surely by now you would know which one's which and what they look like, right? Mm. What's he getting from this? The nanny named Kim, Shumpus, (laughs) Chanute. No. (laughs) The women are just fucking sitting on couches in the lounge room. There's no bleacher. I just feel like it looks really unnatural. Um, And Chris Harrison briefs them again on the fact that one of them will be leaving tonight. And he adds, I've said this before and I want to say it again. You are all totally empowered here. You can decline the rose. It feels like he is begging one of them to do it at this point, right? He's like, refute Chanute. (laughs) Uh, But then Alex stands at the pedestal and hands out his roses in this order. Trista, Shannon, Amanda. I thought it was interesting that Shannon is in the middle there. Me too. Usually they'd leave her to last because there's the most drama around her. Right. Like normally they they ratchet it up. They they make you hang on the like, oh, maybe it, you know, I didn't know how, how well things were going with Kim, but obviously Shannon and, you know, nobody on, on production has insisted that they, they do this in a certain order. Yeah. This, it hasn't been thought of yet. Yeah. Clearly. And when you start to pair that with the women in voiceover- that's the point at which you start to really ratchet up that drama, as you say. Yeah, totally. So Kim hugs the other women with a smile. Amanda ITMs, I I just didn't want to seem too excited because I knew that Kim was upset. But like, you know, since the idea of a villain edit doesn't really exist yet, this statement from Amanda, which seems borderline sociopathic, like comes off as pretty compassionate in a way. Yeah, Like she's yeah. like, oh, I really didn't want to seem too happy. You know, it could have really been bad if I right. <laughs> admitted how happy I was. Right, right. Alex ITMs, I think she's beautiful. I think she's great. But her family really focused on the fact that nothing affects her. Nothing gets a rise out of her or a rose. Uh, she needs mm-hmm. to be pushed to do things. And, you know, they really focused on it. I want someone who is easygoing, but Kim's too easygoing for me. I actually, I actually don't think that this was super evident from the edit that we saw. I agree. Maybe they shot these things a decent amount of time apart or something, and he had to like try and remember what happened. Because, you know, being the first date, and then they go all around the country, like it could be a couple of weeks or whatever. No way. Like, I think that this is a couple of days, right? Because Do you think remember, so? he's so tired. Well, that's true. That is true. I like, figured I it was jet lag. filming schedule of jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. So maybe just at this point, his brain is just scrambled and he's like, I don't know, I guess Kim. Yeah, well, like, to be honest with you, I just think that it's a failure of editing to show us the reason, if that's the reason that's being given, you know, because at least in Kim's hometown, we didn't 
learn anything about her not being outgoing and, and self-motivated you know um that's not something that was that w- was put across but it seems to be what alex has taken the most to to heart in order to send home kim yeah because obviously they have all of this footage right and they can choose to show whatever they want and if that did come up at some point earlier you know they know that this is the reason why kim is being sent home they're going to include the footage of him saying this is why i'm sending him kim home so then mm. you want to show that happening all, one thing I know about the production of this season is that it was done on a very short timeline. Yeah. Um, and I think shorter than they they take now. Um, so maybe it was just like, and obviously, you know, the 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 art form of reality TV editing and storytelling um, has a long way to come. And you can see it evolving throughout this season. But obviously, you know, we're, we're used to a pretty different standard of that stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, you want to, you want to, Chekhov's gun it, you know? What does that mean? Chekhov's gun? No idea. Oh, it's a literary device in which uh, you, if you, the, the idea is that if you see a gun in the first act of a play, that gun has to go off by the end of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's about like doing callbacks or whatever, I guess, but it's also right. about like, don't show an element at the start. Don't set it up if you're not then going to pay it off later. Knock it down. Right. I understand you. Yeah. Maybe it's a failure of editing. You know, maybe we didn't see this part of like Kim and Alex's relationship coming to a forefront on this hometown date. We did see a problem in the hometown date, though. And I can imagine that maybe Alex is tiptoeing around it here yeah. in the sense that like, Maybe her dismissal might have had something more to do with the entire room full of animal <laughs> corpses. Might have been uh, a bit of a red flag. Yeah, yeah. Who who told us that we were in Phoenix, Arizona and not Corpses Christi, Texas? <laughs> were there any phoenixes in that room? I wonder. Hey, I don't know. Well, they would have probably just come back to life though, right? <laughs> Uh, In her limo interview, Kim says, I was definitely ready to settle down and commit myself to somebody. Every girl dreams of what their husband is going to be like, what they're going to wear down the line. The hardest thing is going to be telling my parents that it just didn't work out. But I know that there's other men out there for me and he just isn't the one right now. We watch her blue eyes well up with tears as we have been given the heartbreak and anguish that we were promised at the very beginning of the episode. Chekhov's gun. Yeah! I think you're right. I think you're fucking right. Yeah. Uh, Next week on Ancient History, how do you explain to three women that you're going to fuck all of them? (laughs) How do you lay the groundwork for the endorsed sexual component of a reality dating competition game show, which will last for at least two decades? And Max, is it possible this is the first time that we've properly covered fantasy suites on the podcast in over five years? I think probably. But before we get to that, the next time that you hear us, we will be previewing all the beautiful cast members for Brooke Blurton's upcoming season of The Bachelorette beginning on October 20th. You do not want to miss that. Thus ends our recap, but that does not end this episode of the podcast. Fantastic. What do you got for me? Okay, so Max, you know, uh, normally at the end of our podcast, we talk about the movements, the gains, the losses on uh, social media, particularly Instagram. Mm. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the lifeblood of this season, uh, of this program, and the way that it is still able to exist during the year of our Lord 2021. Unfortunately, in the year 20, 
02. These things did not exist yet. And so, in lieu of social media gains, let's play some historic games. So, Max, we are taking a look back into the past, into the year 2002, on this series called Ancient History. Mm-hmm, and we are mm-hmm. learning some things about what the world was like then. Not just, of course, from our beloved television program, The Bachelor, but also just from what's going on, you know, what's out there. The milieu. The milieu. <laughs> and so I want to, you know, I've been, I've been challenging you over the last few, uh, few weeks to try and guess, you know, big, significant pop cultural events, you know, like popular music, popular movies, that sort of thing. This time, I feel like you've been, you've been having too easy of a time. Oh, good. So I feel like I wanted to give you a little bit more of a challenge this time around and ask you about something that I don't think that you know that much about. Excellent. So we are going to talk about the top five highest selling video games for the year 2002. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I am getting these from Video Game Sales Wiki. Because <laughs> uh, why not? I believe these are correct sales data as reported by NPD, which is a leading global market research company founded in 1967, which provides consumer and retail information to manufacturers and retailers. Seems legit. I don't know. I didn't look much harder. Let's talk about the top five highest selling video games of 2002. Max, when you were however old you were in 2002, I want to say 10? 11 years old. You were 11 years old. Did you have any access or interest? Like, what was your what was your exposure to video games at this point in your life? Now, Xavier, I think that you might have miscast me a little bit because I was, in the early 2000s, a little bit of a game head. You were I, a bit of a Game Boy? I was a bit of a Game Boy. I had some Marios. Mm-hmm. I had... Uh, GameCube that I bought on the weekend of release. Saying I had some Mario's is the most like boomer downloading the TikToks. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, I I never went as far as as PlayStation. Certainly, was this the Xbox came out the next year, right? uh, Xbox is out, I think, at this point. Okay. All right. Then that means that if we're looking at a top five video video games, Hmm. I'm going to look at GameCube, I'm going to look at PlayStation 2 probably and Xbox as my main platforms, mm-hmm. but I would like to throw in a couple of rogue guesses for other platforms first. Sure, please. So something like a PC version of The Sims or Age of Empires, something mm. in that world. I wonder what year those both came out because they're not on this list, but I know that they are pretty consistent high sellers. World um, of Warcraft, the other one. Mm. Is World of Warcraft on this list? It is not. That being the case, mm. am I safe to assume that the the pool that I am drawing from is the GameCube, the PlayStation, and the Xbox? For the most part. Oh, fuck. Is there I'm a hesitant to give you too many there? clues because I act I'm sorry. I'm hesitant to give you too many clues because I actually feel like you're sort of already getting there's not as many like games around this time to choose from as there are like m- musical, you know, or like movies or whatever, like, you know, so right. I don't, I don't want to hand it to you too, too, obviously I want to, okay. I want to see what you can do uh, on your own, but yes, th- I'm willing to tell you that there is a handheld game in the top five. Okay. Then I will say that it is one of the Pokemon uh, 
not fire red, leaf green. What's after that? Uh, crystal, ruby, and sapphire. An interesting guess, a good guess, but an incorrect guess. Damn. Okay. All right. So we'll set handhelds aside for the moment, mm-hmm. and we'll go back to what I think are the obvious ones. Sure. Grand Theft Auto Vice City was 2002. That was the number one selling video game of that year. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Super Mario Sunshine came out that year. Is mm. that on the list? Super Mario Sunshine is number 10 on the list. Okay, what about Metroid Prime? Metroid Prime does not appear on this list. Oh, that's insane. I know uh, that ga- that game casts a long shadow. It is a it's a it's a great game and has a lot of fans to this day. But uh, yeah, not there. Okay, some of um, these this some time... of these rankings are pretty surprising to me. If I'm being okay. honest, at this time, what else is happening? Um, movies that it was just this sort of time where movies were being turned into video games maybe is one of them a harry potter or a spider-man there is a harry potter or a spider-man that appears at number seven and it is spider-man the movie on playstation 2 there is no harry in the list i always feel like maybe harry is just a tiny bit early i'm sorry harry is a tiny bit later uh Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 is at number 11 in the list. Damn it. Mm. Okay. Let's look at Madden 2003. Madden NFL 2003 is number three in the list. Sick. So you have got Vice City and Madden numbers one and three. Can we cover off the other sports? Is there a FIFA in there? And is there maybe an NHL or an NBA 2K? All good guesses, none of them appear in this list. Okay. Are we looking at any others that come from movies? Uh, not in the five. Okay. 2002. Oh, you know, Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Mm, wonderful game, which appears not in the list. Fuck. I'm shocked by that. None of these are based on movies, but one of them has an upcoming movie. Uh, oh, it's, it's Ratchet and Clank. No. No, Ratchet and Clank is uh, is a bit later, I believe. Uh, maybe not, but it's not in the list. Okay. Also, that Ratchet and Clank movie came out, I think. Oh, did it? There you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, I don't. This is a total guess. Mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is a good guess. It's number eight. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm loving this. You've got way more knowledge in this than I than I expected. I didn't mean to short sell you. No, oh, no, it's okay. Um, a game that I had was called Time Splitters. Mm, I have fond memories of Time Splitters. It didn't crack the 20, though. I, this, this list that I have only, only shows the top 20. Can you narrow? Oh, is Halo out? Halo is out. It's number nine. You are swelling around it. For goodness sake. Okay, let me, let me narrow the field a little. So th- you've got two, uh, two of these for, for PlayStation 2. So there's another two for home console and another one for portable the one that is for a portable is the one that has an upcoming film coming out it is a much discussed upcoming film with a recently released released cast list that has caused paper some mario? concern not paper mario but it is it, you're talking about the right little man yes so it's not going to be... Is it Smash Brothers Melee? Melee? No, this is... We're talking about the portable. Oh, uh, Mario Galaxy 3? No, Gal- Galaxy is, uh, Galaxy is uh, a home console one. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, 
Think about a uh, popular suffix for a handheld. Oh, cart? Mario Kart? Even more popular as a suffix. Two? Mm, it is actually a two, but I was thinking of something else. Mario Deluxe. No, but you're like that type of area, but maybe one that describes a, a piece of hardware. Oh, 3D or something? Mm, along those lines, perhaps a more 2002 era relevant piece of hardware. It might be the piece of hardware that you use to play this game. Um, Mario Bros? Mario... <laughs> oh, I'm playing it Mario. on my bros. Super Mario Advance. Yeah, there you go. Super Mario Advance what? Two? Yeah, correct. Oh, see. Okay. <laughs> All right. So okay. you are left with two video games for the home consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is in a long-running franchise that I basically guarantee you have never played, um, but you would maybe be, I guess you would probably be aware of. It involves mm-hmm. vehicles. I think if you've never owned a PlayStation, you may not know too much about this. Okay. That you could prove me wrong? Think about what it could be. Something to do with cars. Um, The other one that you have not guessed, if you want to switch over, is in a franchise which you have mentioned already. It is in a franchise which you have correctly guessed already. Another Grand Theft Auto? Is it Grand Theft Auto 3? It is, correct. Nice one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the last one you have is even more based around cars than Grand Theft Auto. I don't like think you can F- get out F- of a car. F9 or something? F1? Yeah, I mean, no, but yes, you know, it's in that, it's in that neighborhood. I don't know if you know this, this uh, uh, F3? series. F3? Is it an F? Is there an F? There's in it? no F, although there is a three in it, interestingly enough. F three zero. Zero no. cars F three. <laughs> cars three. Uh no, no, no. I'm gonna get there with this. Is it something mm-hmm. like Fusion 3D? No. This game will not cost you a thousand dollars. Nine ninety nine ninety nine. Okay, may- let me rephrase. This franchise is going to cost you a thousand dollars. This is a this is a game you might not want to live in, but you'd like to visit for a while. Portal? <laughs> is it Portal? Portal's not a car game. This is a word for a thousand dollars, followed by a word for visiting somewhere for a while. Grand. Oh, it's Gran Turismo. Yeah. It's Gran Turismo 3 A-Spec. What is that? <laughs> it's a car game. Okay. Hey, we did it. A simpler time. We did it. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, it was more challenging. It was. That was I more delivered on the promise of the premise. I can't believe that none of the GameCubes made it in there. Yeah, I think GameCube was just not as big of a seller as the, the PS2. The PS2 was dominant. Mustn't have been. There yeah. you go. Uh, I, was, I swear I was right on the money with Pikmin. What a shame. <laughs> Pikmin, uh, unfortunately, undersold, I think. Um, you also didn't guess any of the three different Yu-Gi-Oh games that are in the top 20. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? No. No. That must have been a bigger thing. 
internationally than it was here. I, maybe that's right. Maybe that's Dragon right. Dragon Ball Z, I feel like, was something that was more also of the time. That's uh, yeah, number thirteen in the list. There you go. Okay. <laughs> So we pretty much named all of them. Um, uh, Thank you, Max, for playing along with this game. Now we know a little more about the strange ancient year of 2002. And listeners, that does bring us toward the end of another episode. If you want to chat with us, if you want to get on down with our friends, uh, past and and future maybe guests of the show, the place that you can do it is in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh posting group on Facebook. You can also find us on socials at Pod. I'm Max Quinn. That's Xavier Betsky Noonan. Hi. And listeners. We love you. Come Goodbye. on back soon. Oh, come on back soon for <laughs> shit. Bye. is